Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com hey folks it's matt zachary and welcome to vax on a weekly segment of my podcast out of patience right here on the off script media network hey i'm alura nanos i'm a lawyer a journalist a mom of a teenage narcoleptic and a professional big mouth lou and i go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door. Matt gets me. He knows I'm tired, annoyed, and sometimes pushed to the brink by the intense chaos of our lives right now. We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation. So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. Conspiracy theorists and haters shall be neutralized on site. All right, Matt, let's get at it. Welcome to VaxOn, everyone. We're back. And when I say we, I mean me and not so much Matt. But good news, we have our resident redhead here. It's me, Andrew McDowell. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Alora. I'm excited to um to sort of see you today. I, I can sort of see you on our on our Zoom link. Yeah, uh, my my face is obscured by uh, high tech audio equipment. And... Uh, mine is obscured by bad lighting. <laughs> so hey, that'll work. Yes, I'm fairly confident that I'm talking to Alora Nanos. It's totally me. You can tell by my big mouth. <laughs> um, so how are you doing? What's happening in your world? Just back from vacation, uh, we were in the Finger Lakes. It was a beautiful experience. Masking levels were fairly good. I think we felt safe, um, and there was lots of fresh air and sun. Love that. That's so nice. And now you're back in time for back to school. Yes. Not at all terrified by that. No, not at all. It, it's totally fine when we have to do our school supply list, and it's like, backpacks and loose leaf and reinforcements and also like hazmat suits and masks and, <laughs> and like hand sanitizer and Clorox and like all that stuff. Yeah. I, I have to say that my kids anyway are, it's just second nature to them at this point. Um, oh, sure. You know, we adults have all kinds of paranoia that we're dragging around behind us. The kids just put their masks on. 
it, you know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was uh, in a supermarket parking lot and I saw this mom and her little girl who was probably about five. And the little girl was wearing a princess dress, you know, as one does for food shopping. <laughs> and she was wearing this like sparkly sequined mask. And I remembered back to when in the beginning of the pandemic, I was so bothered by seeing small kids in masks. I, I guess because I only associated masks with really sick kids in hospitals. So it just upset me to see it. Um, like it almost seemed like, you know, the sign of the apocalypse that small kids were wearing masks. Watching this little girl just reminded me that, I mean, she couldn't have cared less. She was totally thrilled to have her sparkly mask. It, you know, right. she had no association with it the way I did. And like, it's fine. You know, we adapted and it's totally fine now. And it was a good reminder that, you know, that we bring a lot of baggage to things that maybe isn't always so accurate. So true. So true. So, yeah, I mean, so my kids, you know, they'll go back to school with their mask. Luckily, my kids are now both totally vaccinated. So that gives me, you know, a, a tremendous feeling of relief, although I know it's not going to be a perfect environment. You know, they're as protected as they could be. They have good habits. They have, you know, their vaccination. So it's kind of like, that's really all I could ask at this point. Yeah. And um, I have plenty more to ask uh, <laughs> because my kids are are not yet within uh, the age range that is covered by a vaccine that's been approved for emergency use by the FDA. And we're going to talk a little bit about those uh, kid timelines later in the episode because it sounds like there's some good news coming. So um, we can talk about that, but not yet. You have to stick with us. <laughs> <laughs> because first, we have to talk about horse dewormer. Of course we do. It used to be that you... <laughs> Expressed your political affiliation by getting uh, a red hat, maybe, or uh, uh, a, a maybe you put an elephant bumper sticker or a donkey oh, bumper sticker on your car. Sick. Now we do it with medication. Oh, it's so fucking ridiculous. I mean, if this isn't the most asinine thing I have ever heard in my life. So, you know, let me just set set the stage here for anyone who isn't surrounded by total crazy. And, and I have to just interject myself for a minute. When these stories happen, they actually take a few days to reach me because I live in this wonderful bubble of primarily educated, reasonable people. So I don't hear about the crazy conspiracy theories and ludicrous, you know, medication alternatives, usually for a few days after it breaks. Um, this one, honestly, like it really hit me. <laughs> it really got me. So there's this drug called ivermectin, which is primarily a deworming medication used for large animals like livestock and horses. And But it, it is used sometimes in humans to combat par certain parasitic diseases. And actually, it won the 2015 Nobel Prize for that. Um, so it's not like this is the very first time it's been used in human, but it is, it's a veterinary drug that's been around since the 1970s. And now your right-wing lunatics have decided, seemingly totally randomly, that we should use this to combat COVID. And yeah. not to treat for COVID, to actually prevent COVID. Exactly. You know, Which, and, and it's, it's, it's a Nobel Prize winning medication. So uh, I'm pretty sure that that means that it can be used to treat anything. Sure. I, Do I, I have that right? right? 
Is that the way it works? Once it wins a prize? <laughs> and, and if that's how it works, does it have to be the Nobel Prize? Could it be something else? <laughs> Could it be a Peabody like, Award? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like being a, an optometrist or a doctor of uh, ophthalmology and, uh, and then uh, getting elected to the Senate and uh, <laughs> deciding that you are qualified to push ivermectin. I just... Like, I just can't is kind of my feeling about this one. Mm -hmm. It's driving me crazy. And um, I cannot believe people are doing this. And people are like really taking this shit. Mm -hmm. um, prescriptions for ivermectin, which are normally like 3600 per week per the CDC, yeah. are now 88000 per week. What the fuck? But here's what I want to know. I mean, prescriptions don't grow on trees. So these people who want this drug are going to their doctors and their doctors are writing them prescription for horse dewormer? I suppose they are. Um, you know, I, we just keep on getting disappointed by our fellow humans. And uh, regrettably, I guess that includes some doctors as well, doesn't it? Uh, I guess so. But here's the thing that really gets me, right? So it's not as if someone sort of discovered ivermectin and then, you know, just for whatever reason, anecdotally thought it might help prevent COVID. And now because it seems to be working, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. It actually doesn't seem to be working at all um, because there's actually been studies. There's been 14 studies with more than 1,600 participants. So granted, that's not millions of people, but you're talking about, you know, 1,600 people who <laughs> took ivermectin to see if it would prevent COVID. And guess what the study showed? What did it show? That it's totally ineffective for preventing oh. COVID. Oh, uh, it does help people get diarrhea though, from what I understand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And everyone sure. needs help doing that. Obviously. So I'm like, I don't, I don't even get it. You know, this is not something to prevent COVID. Um, they've, the only studies that are out there that exist seem to show that it doesn't work, but people are doing it anyway. And the FDA, who I would like to think that doctors are paying attention to what the FDA says, the FDA weighed in and said, you are not a horse. <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> Different than the lawyer who said, I'm not a cat. So yeah, <laughs> you are not a horse. Um, <laughs> I saw a great tweet that said, like, if you're going to ask for ivermectin while you're at it, just see if you can put yourself down. <laughs> but like, okay, here's the thing, right? So if you told me that there were a bunch of, you know, vax rejectors out there who found that, you know, I don't know, eating bee pollen or, or, you know, making daffodil tea or whatever the fuck it is, that that somehow was going to prevent COVID. I'd be like, sure, it's not going to hurt. Like, even if it doesn't necessarily work, if you think it does, like, great, knock yourself out. But one of the primary arguments against the COVID vaccine that I have heard is, I don't know what's in this, or it's not approved fully, or I don't think there's been enough clinical trials, or what are the long-term side effects, right? And those aren't nonsensical things to worry about, but it becomes nonsensical when you compare it to this. People are taking this. Do they know what's in ivermectin? Have there been long-term studies about this drug for this use? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, that's why you were worried about that vaccine, but this one's okay? <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I think that what I really am struggling with is the fact that increasingly, I think we need to reach the conclusion that evidence and the consideration of evidence and the concept of ways of thinking that fit together and are coherent and pointing out to someone that their ideas don't fit together, all of these habits that we have of talking to other people who've had a basic education and are accustomed to thinking through problems in a way that's functional need to be thrown out the window <laughs> when it comes to the uh, any attempt we want to make at communicating with the type of person who is now taking ivermectin. Yeah. It's kind of like at some point we have to be on the page that everyone is entitled to their views, but your opinion is not equal to mine if yours is completely based in ignorance and mine is completely based in fact. Precisely. And yeah. and this whole like, you know, my point of view is equal to your point of view, but your point of view is really just straight ignorance. Like it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work in politics. It doesn't work in medicine. It doesn't work in law. It doesn't work. And I think that many of us have tried in our, our lives and through our education to learn to be accepting of people with different opinions. And there is a point at which you're doing the world a disservice by trying to act as if everyone is sort of equal in their opinion. Because right. if your opinion is based on total bullshit, I'm not interested in that opinion. That's just stupid. It's just wrong at some point. Yeah. There's been so much effort recently put into the work of providing people who were in the past accustomed to getting shot down in discussions of this kind, giving them the tools to feel like they have a right to be there anyway. And that the move to make when you've been uncovered as a person whose ideas have no basis or and no evidence is to pound the table and shout louder. Mm -hmm. we, we've recently uh, said farewell to a president who did just that. And uh, is there's a direct line behind that man's behavior and the behavior that we're observing at school meetings across, school board meetings across the country right yeah. now. Yeah. Do, do you know, did I tell you what was going on at our school board meeting in my district? Let's hear it. Oh, it's it's really upsetting. There's a guy running for school board whose mm. daughter goes to school with my daughter. I We don't know her, but she's about to enter that school. He's running for school board. His platform to run for the school board is unmask our kids. This is his whole platform that kids should not wear masks, you know, which just bothers me. Like, it's such a ridiculous platform. Like, what the fuck does this guy think that everybody enjoys wearing masks? Like, it's been proven to be a good way to stop the spread. Like, what? we're not doing it because we think it's fun. You know, and this is his whole thing. And what he has done is he went to a school board meeting, refused to put a mask on. The district, to its, you know, kind of detriment, was not really prepared to enforce its mask mandate. So they didn't really know what to do with him. And and at the end of the day, it ended up stalling the meeting for like 45 minutes, completely interfered with school board business, which is, you know, to me, it's, it's just obnoxious. You're going to run to be on the school board, but you're not actually interested in facilitating the school board doing its important work. And then he came to an orientation at the middle school and sat high up in the bleachers away from other people solely to make a point about his 
refusing to be masked. And what he would do is he, he had a mask, but he wore it on his chin. And then every time someone came over to him to tell him to put the mask on, he pretended to be drinking because, you know, that's one of the exceptions that you can pull it down when you're drinking a beverage. I mean, and the whole thing is like, listen, even if you think that the rules should be different, talk to the people about who are making the rules, but to simply just flout them while those are the rules in the book it is just the height of irresponsible, uh, bad citizenship. And this person is running for school board. Yeah. And he believes that he's like Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. Oh, like 100%. He, he, he's, he's really enjoying his uh, position as a martyr. Yeah. And you know what What got me? That's and, a deeply um, broken brain. It, it, deeply broken brain. <laughs> I have to use that. Um, you know, and, and this is where my own sense of superiority is going to go in. I apologize to our listeners. That the concept of superiority <laughs> needs to be restored, frankly. Well, not elitism. Yeah, no, no, not elitism because it has nothing to do with being elite. Um, but here's the thing. I read all of the school board candidates' written platforms, and I couldn't help but notice that just one of them really had a problem with um, apostrophes and syntax and grammar. And guess whose it was? <laughs> And I was like, I could read this guy's platform and tell he was a moron just from this. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's like, and, on. and you don't, it's not a good feeling to feel like you don't have what it takes to participate in high level conversations that are important. That's a bad feeling. Um, but unfortunately, there's no easy shortcut to suddenly become qualified. You do have to do the work. You do have to learn how apostrophes work. You do have to learn how ideas fit together. Yeah. (laughs) Like we have schools out there. Figure it out. Yeah. I want to move to our second segment because one of the things that that is bringing me some level of comfort in this world full of ignoramuses, it seems that the free market is coming in to basically not put up with people's bullshit anymore. And I love when that happens. In the same way that I love boycotts, you know, I like boycotts that really work and they're for the right reason. I love to see private businesses just not tolerating bullshit anymore. Right. And I suppose that what might save us is those instances where the bottom line meets this bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like this is not always the case, but there are definitely circumstances in which, you know, the finances tell a story. Delta Airlines is like calling out anti-vaxxers. And I love it. Delta Airlines decided that they are going to charge their employees $200 a month if they won't get vaccinated against (laughs) COVID-19. And I I love it. And they're like, listen, it's not a penalty because, you know, we hate you, but you're going to end up in the hospital and your hospital stay is going to cost us, they've estimated, $40,000. So $200 a month is actually a, a relatively low price. They've stopped hiring anyone that's unvaccinated and they're like, listen, like you, this is what you're going to have to do. If you, sure, fine. It's your choice. But your choice is going to cost you 
200 bucks a month. That's incredible. It is. And you know, that's the kind of thing that I feel like it speaks directly to people who say, I don't need it. Okay, fine. You don't need it. But our financial records tell a different story because you're putting us at risk. And so we need to refactor things and make a rational decision to to charge you if you make certain decisions. Um, one thing that I that I think is you know remarkable about this is that of course this is Delta Airlines and the Delta variant, is the that second one? major yeah the second major <laughs> company to have uh, a softening of its brand quality thanks to this pandemic. The first, of course, being Corona beer. Um, <laughs> Do you think that that factored into Delta's uh, decision in any way? I wonder, but you know they've you know that they've had conversations about what to call this new thing uh, in their press releases, uh, and, and actually, I looked at a couple of the press releases and I noticed that they are basically alone uh, among communicators in describing this as the B one six one seven two. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. I did not know that. (laughs) But you know, I don't know if you and I talked about this, but when the Delta variant first came out, I actually thought it had to do with Delta Airlines. I I didn't realize that it was like the Greek letter. So I I thought it had to do with like something else. And then only then did I realize, oh, it's just Delta, like the letter. And I was like, I did not need to learn this much about the Greek alphabet in quite this way. But... (laughs) <laughs> that is fantastic. Like what yeah. you know, you had to imagine the people at Delta Airlines when when the Delta variant first started making headlines. They had to be like, "Oh, for God's sake!" Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is so funny. And, and you know, the same thing happened to me. What I read about Lambda. So when I see Lambda. I always think of Lambda Legal, which is an LGBT legal advocacy group, and yeah, that's just it. because yeah. I work with them often. And um, so when I, I was like, what, what, what's happening with Lambda? And then I'm like, oh, it's a totally different Lambda. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is fabulous that they call yeah. it that. Yeah, I don't know if they do that in every press release, but the two that I looked at, that's how they That's fantastic. It. But I really, I, I mean, I applaud these companies because I feel like they're taking a stand. It's a reasonable stand. It's directly related to what their damages are, you know, the, the from from the company standpoint for dealing with their employees that have this. Not even to to factor in the fact that it's a bad look for the company to have an employee come down with COVID nineteen in the travel industry on an airplane. I mean, that's like a whole problem unto itself. There's already pilot shortages and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I think that that those choices on behalf of large companies are really really important. I applaud this. Uh, certainly within the narrow, eh, it's not narrow enough, but the scope of approaches to getting past this point in this pandemic. Broadly speaking, though, I, I am incredibly happy that we are now taping after the FDA has announced full approval uh, for the Pfizer vaccine. Yep. Hopefully Moderna follows soon. And it now makes it possible for institutions across the country to issue vaccine mandates. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, Andrew, now it's time for our Sir Moment of the Week. Remember, here at Vaxon, we have this incredible relationship with Sermo, a global social platform just for physicians. With Sermo's more than 1.3 million healthcare providers across 150 countries, Sermo provides physicians with a unique community that fosters discussions about issues that are important to them and their patients. And now you, our listeners, get to be part of the process. Each week, we're going to ask our Sermo physician community a series of questions, and we will report back to you with the doctor's answers. That's our Sir moment. It's like getting a second opinion, but with hundreds of doctors. So remember, listeners, if you have something you want to ask the Sermo community, let us know. Tweet us and let us know what you'd like us to ask the Sermo community. And our Twitter feed is at VaxonPod. This brings us, by the way, to our Sir moment. A Sir moment. Yes. You know, so we're talking about kind of what we would do and what we think should be done uh, in terms of vaccine mandates. We've seen private industry do it. We, we're talking about um, municipalities that are doing it. And one of the things I wanted to know is what does the medical industry think? You know, what do doctors think about mandatory vaccinations? Because the medical community, theoretically, are the people who should be best informed as to both the risks of COVID and any risks of a vaccine or the the efficacy of a vaccine. So I wanted to know what doctors think. So here are the answers, the questions and answers that we put to our enormous group of Sermo doctors. Our first question was just, do you believe that healthcare workers should be required to have a mandatory COVID vaccination? 49% said yes, mandatory vaccination for all healthcare workers everybody should get it. 22% said, yep, there should be a mandatory vax policy with some exemptions noted for pre-existing conditions. So that's, you know, 49 plus 22 is, um, Andrew? It's 71%. <laughs> yeah. So that's most doctors um, yes. are saying, yeah, you got to have mandatory vaccinations. 4% said, yeah, you should have the mandatory vaccines, but only for people in high-risk situations like frontline workers or home care workers. So that's another 4%, um, just you know, a limited vaccine mandate. Right. 25% of doctors said, no, the healthcare workers are aware of the risks and they should be able to choose for themselves. Right. Okay. That seems high to me. Keep, that a keep quarter, me away from those doctors. Yeah. I mean, that's a quarter of doctors. Yes. Yeah. And this is an international cohort that, that Sermo works with. Yeah. 
Um, second question was, how do you think that those who decline a mandatory vaccination should be handled? Like what should happen to them? Hmm. 33% said they should be suspended, not allowed to come to work until they're vaccinated. These are doctors saying this. These are doctors who say this. Um, 17% of the doctors said anyone who refuses to get the vaccine should just be transferred to a low risk environment, like working only in telehealth or something like that. That's an interesting idea. I thought so too. Um, 2% said we should fine them. Okay. Um, 12% said they should be indefinitely required to wear masks. 16% said they should be tested weekly or even more frequently. And 20% said they should not be punished in any way. So if I'm doing the math correctly, doctors were not allowed to select more than one of these options. I think, yeah, I think that's the way it worked, that they only mm-hmm. they only could could select one. Right. Um, so it's what you know, what you have here is that you know, a third of people said you gotta be suspended, or and it seems like a good amount of the rest essentially said you kind of gotta do something to get these people away from the risky situation. Um, last question was, do you believe that certain healthcare workers should be allowed an exemption from the mandatory vaccination for medical reasons? And if so, which medical reasons? Hmm. I, I thought that was interesting because we very rarely talk about what what counts as a good enough reason to exempt yourself from a vaccine mandate. Um, 17% said if you had a pre-existing immune, autoimmune issue. 3%, very small, said if you're a woman of childbearing age. 7%, I was very interested in such a uh, small percentage, if you have a history of blood clot disorders. Hmm. So that's the one side effect that we have actually discussed. Only 7% of doctors said that that's a good enough reason to uh, get out of a vaccine mandate. Right. 39% said if you have a prior allergy or anaphylaxis to other immunizations, that would be a good reason to exempt your, exempt that patient from a mandatory uh, vaccine. 11% if you're immunocompromised. And 24% like said something else, you know, some other rare disease or something. So yeah, so that that's what doctors said about uh, if, if you prefer who are, horse medication, right? We did not ask it. Do you think we should ask that next time? <laughs> I mean, somebody's prefer, writing these fucking yeah, prescriptions. Yes. If you'd rather, if you'd rather take take medications that are designed for other organisms, uh, then maybe you should be exempted from taking the vaccine. I wonder. Maybe we should ask sometime about what the doctors feel that they've done, or or have they ever written a prescription for someone because that person asked for a particular drug and they kind of felt like it's probably not going to help, but it also won't hurt. Right. Yeah. I, I am fascinated by it. Um, what is that dynamic? I, I recently read the empire of pain, a yes. book that I strongly recommend. It's by Patrick Radden Keefe. You were just telling a- me about it. It's on my list. It's all, it's all about the history of Purdue Pharmaceuticals and the Sackler family going all the way back to the creation of the company. Those are some uh, serious supervillains for anyone who doesn't know who the Sackler family are. It really is remarkable. Uh, and it's an incredible story. Patrick Redden Keefe is a brilliant writer. He, he, he's, he's, he does extremely deep original research and he weaves everything that he finds together into an astonishingly effective narrative that will leave you angry. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, I don't know if, you know, legally speaking, the Sackler family has been sued in many cases for essentially causing the opioid epidemic. 
Yes, yes. This book dives into all the ways in which that appears very much to be the case. Um, it, it would take an entire further episode to talk about this book. But the reason I bring it up is that the factor that we might that 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 I'm curious about when it comes to all these ivermectin prescriptions is the sales reps. Are the sales reps currently working this dynamic? Are they giving doctors uh, information that leads them to feel more comfortable prescribing ivermectin? Uh, Can we ask the them sale- that in our thermo poll? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know. I'd love and, to know. And if so, is it, are they regular farmer reps or are they veterinary farmer reps? I need to know that as well. <laughs> exactly. Are they like, I can't. Um, so Andrew, I promised you that we would end today's podcast with a segment about some good news for those of us with kids. Oh boy. Let's hear it. Really, nothing is more exciting than the fact that they're going to go back to school in a school building all day and I'm going to get some work done. That is great. (laughs) That is appealing. There's something better than that? Yeah, they're going to actually be safe when they do it. It's going to be great. The director of Pfizer said kids' vaccines may be coming as early as November. So as of today's recording, kids 12 and up are eligible for the vaccine, and that's just the Pfizer vaccine. But Pfizer has announced that they're expecting that they're going to file the application with the FDA potentially as soon as October. And then after that, it it could be as quickly as a month or so before the FDA uh, gives approval for younger children. So the next group is going to be kids 5 to 12. um, And then the final group is kids 6 months to 5 years old. Incredible. Incredible. It is. Um, and, and you know, we talked before about how frustrating it is to not really have any information that helps you predict when we're going to get these approvals. But um, I did find an important and helpful little nugget of information that I wanted to share. And one way of checking the FDA timeline for drug approval is by looking to see when the clinical trials close. Uh-huh. And and just to give you like a little background, so in January, on January 22nd, that's when the children 12 to 15, that's when those clinical trials closed. And then in early April, Pfizer applied for uh, FDA approval, and then they got the approval one month later on May 10th. Ah. So so right now, the clinical trials for kids both six six months to five, and for the second group, five to 11, those clinical trials are still open. But if you pay attention to when the clinical trial process ends and they're not accepting any more people into it, that is an indicator that the company is about to ask for approval. And they're saying that they expect it's going to be soon. Oh, that's so exciting. I, I mean, I, we, we're prepping our kids. We told them that sometime in the fall, we hope that they'd be able to get a shot. And of course, they aren't celebrating. Are but, they, uh, they, were they afraid about the shot? Nobody, nobody likes a shot, um, especially when they are uh, young, short people. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but they understand the need for it. I mean, I think that that's really um, an incredible sort of sign of maturity that kids have unfortunately had to develop during this pandemic. My kids, especially my daughter who just turned 12, um, sort of lived in fear of shots. I mean, we had to just psych her up every year before the flu vaccine. It was such a problem. Um, 
she used, I would see that she would sort of shake on the way to the doctor's office to get the vaccine. It it was so upsetting. And she would deal with it, but it was like at the expense of a tremendous amount of stress. (laughs) I I remember that when my son was that age, he was once asked for a school project, like, what are the things you hate most in the world? And number one was shots. Number two was death. (laughs) And I was like, really? Um, But I mean, I think that the anxiety for kids, knowing that even though we're talking pain for like a second, it's, it's very real, that anxiety. So my daughter, she got her, you know, she got her first vaccine a few weeks ago. And she was nervous, but not super nervous. She was kind of managing it. When she went for the second vaccine, she wasn't nervous at all. And came back and said, ah, it didn't even hurt. And it was like her whole attitude had changed about it. Um, And I really do think that that is less about her as an individual and more about the fact that the whole world is talking about vaccines. And even sort of through osmosis, kids are getting that message that it's important to do this and that we are lucky to have it. Because I don't think it's – I don't think – you know, we never talked about flu vaccines or anything really before. That It was just a bad part, just getting a shot. Um, But I think kids are around the conversation of the value of vaccines. And even young kids, I think, are kind of getting that message a little. Yeah. And getting the shots before the – this vaccine was available, it seemed – like something that you were doing for no particular reason, no palpable reason, because of course they were working. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, why am I getting the chicken pox vaccine? Uh, which blows my mind, of course, because I had chicken pox. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's just like the worst thing ever. So yeah. we all see that it's a lucky thing to have it. But of course, the kids have no idea what they're missing out on. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I, I, I got the polio vaccine without ever seeing anybody have polio. Right. There's a reason for that. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah. I'm just I'm just hopeful that uh, the ivermectin folks won't won't get to our kids. Oh my god! And, please uh, don't give my kids any kind yeah. of horse tranquilizer or whatever. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, just just wanted to just end with this. It's it's the it's not just Pfizer. Even Moderna is predicting that they will ask for FDA approval for children by early 2022. So I think they were just a little bit behind right. Pfizer. Um, right. But it's not like they've given up either. Um, so I mean, that's that's great. It's you know things are moving along, and um, you know and and that's just really reassuring to me to know that, you know, soon we're going to be in a place where essentially everyone can get this vaccine. It'll be a new moment when every human being above, I guess, the age of six months can actually get vaccinated. Um, That will kind of change the dynamic. It'll change the, the meaning of the decision to get vaccinated or to, to not be vaccinated. Um, and I think that'll have an interesting effect on the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll also put us in a place where schools that already mandate vaccines in many different kinds of vaccines will probably get to a place where the COVID vaccine is just kind of one more that they require. And it's not seen as so different, um, even though it's a, an entirely different context that it came about. It probably will just become one of the pack that you're expected to get. And dear God, it just didn't have to be this way. We're Ugh. all struggling. We're all suffering from the the idiosyncrasies of a person who happened to get elected. It's 
so rough. Uh, I think it's, it's and I appreciate you pointing that out, Andrew, because there is so much that really is a long term effect of four years, and actually more than that, because you know there were a couple of years leading up to it of empowering people to feel that their ignorance is somehow just as valid as someone else's informed opinion. And these are the effects of that. You know, certainly not one person caused the pandemic um, and no one person can or could stop it. But this culture of, you know, everyone is just going to make shit up by themselves and do what they want and fuck society and I don't care and don't tell me what to do and this is what liberty means. That is a very real effect of a culture that has been created and nurtured over the last few years. And it's perhaps the saddest result of having a leader that had his head up his ass and people who just love to be told that they are you know, valid and that their voice needs to be heard and all that kind of crap. Um, but anyway, you know, not, not to end on a dark moment. Because let's end on the happy back to school September moment. It you is know? very, very good news. It, and, it really uh, is. And and those people that we're talking about right now will be footnotes in the history book. Yeah. And and for the love of God, everyone, be patient with the teachers. Please. And please send your kids with masks, send your kids with the vaccines, because the last thing we need is for everyone to end up back in remote schooling, which will just torture these poor men and women who are there attempting to educate our kids in the face of probably the most difficult circumstances I could even imagine. So, you know, be kind to them, send them. (laughs) I'll tell you, Andrew, I don't know if you do this, but um, I always show up the first or second day of school with bribes for my kids' teachers. <laughs> I, I, every time I bring them coffee, I bring them very good, high quality chocolate, some good hand cream. And I'm like, here you go. Just, this is my offering. Please like my child and remember that, I, <laughs> and remember that I'm watching. So, so now it's kind of like, I know this is going to be difficult, but we're really rooting for you. That um, needs to be done on a grand scale. There should be oh, a yeah. government program that suddenly lifts teachers up. Uh, it, society as a whole needs to do that to teachers. They need to f- feel proud of their jobs again. I think, I, I think that they do. It's just that there is so much unnecessary pain being applied to them. Yeah. That goes from everything from please send in tissues so that your teacher has a box of tissues in the classroom <laughs> Yes, to, you know, not paying perhaps what they're worth or, you know, expecting all kinds of nonsense from them on their off work hours or whatever it might be. Um, But go bring your teacher some Godiva chocolate or something. They they certainly earned it last year, even if they haven't earned it yet this year. And you know that they will earn it this year. So uh, good luck to all of our teachers who are listening. Good luck to all the families sending their kids into school, off to college, whatever it may be. Um, You know, Happy September, everybody. <laughs> and 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 you teachers are the people who are going to prevent another cycle of this in the future of people being proud of their ignorance. Yes. So you know you are, That's really you are important. doing the good work. Yeah. You know what? That is such a good way to end. Teachers, you guys are on the front lines of combating ignorance. So <laughs> that is primarily why we salute you more than any other thing. You are going to fix this because you're there to teach our kids some shit. I promise we'll try to support it at home, but you are the first line of defense against ignorance. Thank you for your investment in the future, teachers. We love you. 
on that note, have a great beginning to your September, everyone. Happy Labor Day, and we'll meet you back here on the next episode of Vax On. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alora. Talk to you Bye, soon. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, the conversation continues on Twitter at VaxonPod. That's V-A-X-O-N pod. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your friends to listen. Vaxon is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by Chair Model. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>